Um, so last week we were looking at First John and we were taking a look at. Remember what we spent most of our time on? Uh-huh. Who wasn't here? You weren't here. Okay. Well, you'll have to go online. We were taking a look mostly. And we spent a considerable amount of time in it, actually, in, uh, in chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17, talking about the world, but we had to contextualize that. Because John had been talking about being in the light or being in darkness. And so he was talking about these false teachers. He is talking about these false teachers. And that's a lot about what this, what this message is about. And, and he was talking about... Um, uh, essentially making anything that is in the world an idol. So if you're idolizing anything in the world or anything that is of the world, and you're putting that first and foremost above your relationship with God, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about anything that would be of the world. That it, uh, is, that, that's not necessarily bad. It's what you do with it. It's necessarily bad, right? And so that's what he was talking about. And we saw that that uh, uh, also that 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 he talked about lusts for things in the world and boasting about things of the world. And the term that I really loved the most, which was the pride of life. And um, and he, he he talked about that that term, the pride of life, which really meant um, a pretentious hypocrite. Constantly being boastful about what they have, what they do. It's all about self. I, 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 I. And, and so the pride of life is really taking pride in all of the stuff of the world as opposed to what? Yeah. As, as opposed to boasting in the Lord. Okay. Hey, so boast in the Lord. That's the kind of boasting that's not bad. So there's nothing wrong with boasting in the Lord. You know, who is Christ in our life? Well, we should be shouting out from the mountaintops. What we shouldn't be doing is we shouldn't be shouting from the mountaintops all the stuff we've done and the accomplishments we've made and the degrees we have. And, and as the one commentator said, how big is my library? How big is my church? If you're a pastor and it, measured in, in numbers, you know, uh, I, I love what Tozer said. I would rather have a church of five people on fire for the Lord meeting on top of the coffee shop than one of thousands that don't know the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Amen? And, so, uh, and so that's what he's talking about. And have you ever noticed that people that are really, really kind of sucked into the world and the desires of the world, have you ever noticed that their motivation, once you get to the bottom of it, their motivation is all, all about themselves? And then if you take a look at what we do, just personalize it for a moment. How, how about our own worldly desires? What are they motivated by? I I want. I. <laughs> you ever had that conversation with yourself? Okay. Let me see. How am I going to justify this want, turning it into a need? <laughs> I mean, we do it all the time, don't we? And so, and, that, and that's all. That's all. John is trying to be careful. But remember, he is he is calling out those false teachers that had entered the church. And remember what they had done? They had pulled people away. They had separated themselves. And so we ended last week by saying that when we come to Christ, we really end 
our desires for worldly things. That's it. It's what's first. Okay, we all got worldly things. We got clothes to wear and food on the table, and we're a pretty wealthy country, nation, in economic terms. So what we really need to be is wealthy spiritually, right? That's what matters. That's what matters. So God wants our He wants our heart, not our not our stuff. Because as we all know, none of us are leaving here with a U-Haul pulling the hearse. You know what I mean? It's not going to happen. We're not taking it with us. We're only taking one thing with us. Right? We're only taking one thing with us. So, having said that, now John transitions and we go right to 1 John, the second chapter, verse 18. In fact, verse 18 and 19. Now, John is about to change his tone just a little bit. And uh, who has a nice, boisterous voice that would like to read? We lost our reader tonight. Susan's not here. <laughs> our boisterous reader is gone. First uh, John two uh, verses eighteen and nineteen. Okay. Dear children, this is the last hour. And if you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Mm. So what do you see in these first couple of verses uh, in Second John 2, 18 and 19? What's the first thing that, that you see that John is communicating? The Antichrist. The Antichrist. Okay, okay, good. What else do you see? The last hour. The last hour. Time is getting short. Yeah, he makes it pretty clear, doesn't he? It's 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 nice and clear. And he's he's all of a sudden confronting the opponents of the truth. He's saying, first of all, dear children. I love that about John. He's got a tender heart. Dear children. And later we're going to see him actually change his tone one more time and he's going to say, dear friends. Ah, okay, we'll see that in a little bit. But he says, dear children, he says, this is the last hour. Well, so let's let's dissect this just a little bit. So this is the last hour. That term, by the way, last hour is the only time we will see that in all of Scripture. The term last hour. But what other terms have we seen and are frankly quite familiar with that are similar to that in Scripture? Huh? Last days? In times. In times. Okay. Similar. Similar. But the beautiful thing about the about the Greek language is the words. We have so few words in the English that you can just use one word that will convey the full meaning of of, of the Greek. And so it's important that we take a look at this this last hour term because it's used only one time in all of Scripture. But last is used many times, isn't it? The word last, but last hour. Well so how do we how do we find out now that we know, we've been told, that this term last hour is not used Anywhere else in Scripture? Does it make us want to investigate that just a little bit? I hope it does. Well, how do we do that? 
Doris? Well, it was later when this was written. The rest of the scripture was written earlier, so it wasn't the last hour then. Mm. But it is when, he, when this is written, which means we're really in the last hour now. Okay, so more of an emphasis then. More of an emphasis on on being on, on, the, on the shortness of time. Is that what you're suggesting? Perfect. Well, I have a study Bible, and of course, the, the word hour in, is, has a reference. I have a little reference. So let's, let's turn to the cross-reference, because Scripture typically will answer itself. I find it fascinating that we have commentaries that have been being written now for about 18, 1900 years or so. And there's a lot of very, very smart people that have, that have written commentaries to help us understand the scriptures when what the first thing we need to be looking at is scripture to understand scripture because it's, it's God's word. It's all tied together. So let's take a look at the cross-reference just for this last hour term and see if we can have scripture help us with this understanding. And let's turn to uh, my cross-reference. My first cross-reference is... Uh, for 1 John 2.18, the word hour, or the term, last hour, is Romans 13.11. So let's turn to Romans 13.11. And this do, knowing the time that is already that hour for you to awaken from sleep. <laughs> That's all I today. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. Okay, for my NIV says when we first believe. So our here in Romans thirteen eleven, what tense is that in? And do this, understanding the present time, according to the NIV. What tense is that? The present. Okay, so we have the last hour. The cross references to Romans where. Uh, where uh, it, it says that and, and do this. Now we're not going to go back and by context and, and take a look at, it, at what Paul's saying about what we're to do. But he says that understanding that the present time, the hour has already come for you to awake from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Nearer now. Present tense. It's all about the present. Now if we cross-reference that, we have to turn to 1 Corinthians 7, 29. Because he says that the hour has already come. Now, remember, we're trying to determine what Scripture tells us about the last hour. Because are we in the end times? Yes, yes we are. And why are we in the end times, by the way? What marks the end times? Pardon me? Any? Okay, prophecy. And so, so how, if, you, if you were to say we're in the end times because... What would you follow because with? Because Christ has risen, he's resurrected. And and he's ascended into heaven. And the Holy Spirit's here. And he's waiting for the number of Gentiles to be fulfilled. And I'm done. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was all good. That was all good. That was all good. And we're only missing one thing. What's the last thing that's going to happen in the end times? Huh? He's coming back. He's coming back. Every one of those are so biblically accurate and complete. And we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. It could happen tonight. It could happen tonight. Now, remember, we're looking at the last hour. And this is present tense. It's in the present. In the present. So, I mean, this is... This is 
important because this letter was written roughly 2,000 years ago. To whom? The church. Okay. And to whom else was it written? Okay, and to the Jews. And to whom else was it written? The church, us. Okay, us. It was written to us. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31. You're not going to make me read it, are you? What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Present, 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 present. So we see in another cross-reference in 1 Corinthians, we see that the time is short. Now this isn't news to any of us, is it? Would it have been news to those that this letter was written to contextually in, in, in their time? Was this news? Okay. It was news. What do we have today that they didn't have? The entirety of God's word. The entirety of God's word. And so he says that uh, what I mean, brothers, is that time is short. Not only is time short, but this world in its present form is history. It's toast. This world in its present form. Time is short. The present, the present, the present. Every time that those terms are used, now the present hour used once in Scripture, but the end times and all of the other times that we mentioned here tonight, it's the present. It's the present. That should be very meaningful to us because what do we live in? The present. And the context here, of course, is is that we get confused in time because we're looking back a couple of thousand years when this was written. And we, we think, oh, Lord, can't you hurry up? Okay, because we want to place and project time onto God. When, when I think God just smiles when we do that. And he says, I get it. <laughs> but relax, you know, because whose time is it? It's his time. So the hour has come. The time is short. The present world is passing away. We, we already know that Jesus could come in a moment, in the wink of an eye, Scripture says. And so now we've got to go back to 1 John 2.18. It says this is the last hour. So stick your finger on 1 John 2.18. This is the last hour. Do you get it now? Do you get it? Man, we're in the present. All of this stuff can happen in the present. In the present. And that's the point. The point is, is that Peter was calling this present age we're in the present. And it is the last hour. There's no time to lose. So don't get confused when we think back. If we think back, we're going back 2,000 years and we get confused in terms of what God's timing is for things. And yet, he's calling us to all of this in the present. It's a very confusing thing, the way our human minds work. But uh, what, what, is, what is not human about the words that we're reading? They're eternal. Okay. What else? They're God-breathed. This is supernatural 
wording and language that comes from God. That we are blessed with trying to understand. And so we get confused in our humanity thinking about the past when what God's telling us here, reading this, this epistle of 1 John, we're in the present. The hour. This is the hour. It's the hour. It's now. Now, the context is light and dark, false teachers and, and falsehood, if you will, the truth and, and error. And he's contrasting all of these things. And then he, 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 he fast forwards here and says, but we're in the present right now in this place, in this building. God be our witness. He is present and we are in the present. And I think that's really important as we go through the rest of this epistle because we've got to understand that this is not some history lesson, although it's a history lesson. But it is God speaking to us in the present. It is in the present. Okay? So, Peter called this present age we're in what? You remember? Evil. Wow. Talk about current events. Now, we're, not, we're here to do an expository teaching on, on First John, but... But, I mean, just the events of this, this last week in Europe, I, I mean, is there, is there evil? Yes, but why do, we, why do we then think this way? We turn on the TV and we see these madmen and they massacre innocent people and we, and we call that evil. What are we missing? What are we missing? The source of it. What is the source of it, and who is evil? Satan. Okay. And and who is good? Okay. Who isn't good? Oh. Okay. Then who isn't good? All. Excuse me. All of us. There's not one good. Not. Even one. But you see, we think about those people over there that go into into where where all they went into, and they and they murder people, and we say, oh, look at the evil, look at the evil, look at the evil. And I'm telling you what John is talking about. He's talking about the evil of the false teachers that went into the church and spoke spoke outside of the truth of God's word and pulled people out. He called that evil. It's evil. See, we do the same thing with sin, don't we? And John has a lot to say about sin and righteousness. We're going to see that in a little bit later here. But, but he has a lot to say about sin and righteousness. And then he says, but, oh, yes. He says that there are all these sins because, you know, God gave us the commandments. He wrote them on, on tablets and they came down the mountain and it said, do not murder. But then John says, if you hate your brother, Christian, you are a murderer. Oh, we must be careful. <laughs> Shouldn't we be careful? Because what we want to do is we want to we want to we quantify and then we and then we characterize these people and we and we project onto them they're evil because they murdered. And God's word said, if you sit here tonight and you know a Christian brother or sister and you hate them, be careful. Careful how we define hate. We better define it biblically. Hating them means that you don't love them and you have not put them first. And so if you have anybody in Christendom, anybody that is a believer that you have done that to, you see God doesn't look at you any differently than he would look at any other kind of evil. Evil is evil is evil. He called these people out for hating. They hated 
They said Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh and they hated the blood, the brethren. And so he said right here that they were part of us. It's powerful when you think about it that way. Now, put that into the present tense. Right here, right now. Because see, oftentimes I think we, we think about it now, those guys. But I think we've got to put the mirror up. Wait a minute, am I loving? Gee, Lord, am I loving? I'm to love all the brethren. I'm to, I'm to love the church. You can't say you love Jesus and hate the church. If you, if you do, you're in the darkness. That's what God's word says. Wow. Pretty powerful. And then in verse 18b, he says, And you have heard the Antichrist. What? Is coming. Okay? What else does that verse say? It's already here. Hmm? I hear Christ the Lord Okay. Many have come. Verse 18 says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. Have come. What tense is that? They're here. So, who are the Antichrists? Excuse me? False teachers. Okay, false teachers. And you base that answer on what? The Bible. Uh, perfect. Okay, the Bible says the false teachers are the Antichrist. It says right here in 1 John. He's calling them out. So we better take a look at that. Turn to 1 John. Go a little bit forward. We're in 1 John. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Because we have to determine here, I think, what's important about understanding who the Antichrists are. Because that's plural. Because there is the Antichrist in Scripture, and there are the Antichrists, plural, in Scripture. We better get real comfortable and familiar with who the Antichrists are if we're going to deal effectively with them, right? So even now, many Antichrists have come. Context of 1 John is Antichrist being false teachers. Let's read 1 John 4. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Someone? Lois? Your children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world <coughs> to them. And 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Okay, so then who are the antichrists? <coughs> the false teachers. Those are, okay, false teachers. We've established that. And I think that that's pretty clear, isn't it? That John is talking about these false teachers that have come into the church and they have pulled people away. And they, apparently they set up their own church someplace. <laughs> or at least some meeting place. They were no longer in fellowship. Like darkness is never in fellowship with the light. Light is never in fellowship with the darkness. They had come in and they were of us, but they went away from us. And scripture says that they, so were they of us. We're going to see that in just a second. 
So the Antichrist are the false teachers. So how do we know that, it's the, that, that this is the last hour that John is talking about, that this is taking place? When he says they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, or if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Uh-huh. But they're going to show that none of them belong to us. And then it says here in 4, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. They are from the world and speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. Perfect. So answer the question now. You read the scripture. Now answer the question. How do we know that this is the last hour? Because many antichrists have come. Because the antichrists have come. The false teachers have come. It says that this is how we know. It's a test. You want to know it's the last hour? You want to know the time is short? Look around. Take a look. It's really clear. They're either of us or they ain't. Okay? And there's leaders of the ain'ts that are in the darkness. But they say they're in the light. Uh, it's, it's a little scary. He says that, he says that you know, greater is, is who that's in the world? He. And who's the he? Who's the he? Greater is he who is in the world. Okay? Then, then what? It says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So who is in you and who is in the world? Satan is Satan's world. It's an evil place. God gave it over to Satan. Don't ask me why. I have a list of my top ten. That's one of them. That's... When I get there, I'd like to ask the question, Lord, even though I understand Romans 8.28, all things are for the good, for those who love God. I'm just trying to figure out that a lifetime of this sin nature and struggling through it and the tension and all that, couldn't there have been a better way? Nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. But couldn't there have been a better way? (laughs) The older I get, the more I think, Lord, can can, can can we time warp this thing just a little bit? I mean, that's the way I think. Uh, but it's but it's God's spirit of truth versus the spirit of falsehood. So um, when <laughs> I, I, I love the, the this that the false teachers had come, of course, we know that. And God's word calls the false teachers antichrist. But let's look at verse 19 again. They went out from us. Look at the first word. because This is an expository Study. So we're looking at words and sentences and verses and terms. And we're seeing what does God mean by that? God is speaking to us. It says, they went out from us. Who are the they? The false teachers went out from us. Okay. You sure that's the they? Well, let's keep reading. Um, They went out from us. Who was the us? Okay. The church. Okay, let's go back. Who was the they? Who was the they? The people that were full of All of them. They all left. They left. It wasn't just the false teachers that left, remember, because we saw this earlier in 1 John. They left. Look, they're all gone. 
All those people that were sitting there, they're gone. They left. They. They had a leader. His name was Bob or something. And they followed Bob and they went. They left. They went out from us. That's the church. But they, is that the same they? They did not really belong to us. For what? If they had belonged to us, what would have happened? They would have stayed. Why would they have stayed if they had belonged to us? Amen. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? They left, and why did they leave? They weren't really believers. They were never really part of us, John says. Now, remember, John is writing this letter from a position of tremendous authority. Why? Because he was an eyewitness. He hung with Jesus. This was not some, this wasn't three, four, five hundred years later where some guy named Smith says that he finds gold tablets. No, this is not that. This, that's unverifiable. This is not that. That's also false teaching. This is John, the apostle, who was an eyewitness to all the things Jesus had done. And he was, of course, empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit in him to write these things. This is God's word through John, the apostle, right? Tremendous amount of authority here, if you care to look at it. Does John have authority? Well, of course we believe that. Absolutely, there's no question about it. We have all this history on our side. We can look back and we say, well, of course. He not only had physical authority, he had spiritual authority. A man filled with the Spirit to write these things. And we believe, don't we? Of course we do. It's very verifiable. Unlike most false teachers that can't validate what they say. If they could validate what they said, they would have a good argument that could be presented as truth. But they can't. It always works that way. It has never been any different. Falsehood is error and it can't be corroborated. It never can be. Because if it's not the truth, what is it? A falsehood, it's a lie. It's either the truth or it's a lie. You've got to make up your mind. Hence, we have all these groups, don't we? Are they of us? I'll tell you what, you get lambasted. Say that outside these walls to somebody. Oh, no, you believe that? You're not of us. Yeah. Narrow-minded bigot. <laughs> That's what we get called. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, pardon me? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, am I a narrow-minded bigot? I don't know, I just I believe the truth. I, I, I suppose you can call me whatever you'd like to. Um, but that's what was, that was happening here a couple thousand years ago. Oh, you narrow-minded bigots. No, you can't believe that. John isn't right. Jesus never came in the flesh. What? I was there with him. What are you talking about? He never came in the flesh. And, and so was a whole bunch of other folks. Yeah, I mean, you're talking to the guy that was there. Touched him, felt him, shook his hand, put my head on his shoulder. What do you mean he wasn't there in the flesh? But that's what the Gnostics were teaching. They would deny Christ for their own purposes, right? Nothing's changed. People get massacred all around the world. Same motivation. It's the same motivation. It's evil. It's evil. And so they once belonged and now they don't. So they never really did belong. Is that painful? 
That's an handshake. It can be painful, can it? It can be painful. Because what is the connotation if you're not if you're not with us, you're against us? You're not saved. That's where the pain comes from. The pain is, is that we have all of these people, some that we know. Some that were in churches where we were and then they left and we know where they went. And, and it's, I mean, you know, we can't, we, can't, we can't judge people in terms of their eternal salvation, can we? That's not up to us. But we have to call out the teaching, can't we? We can condemn the teaching. That's what John's doing. It's clearly straightforward. He says, no, it's a lie. They're teaching, they're teaching falsehood. It's a lie. They were never of us. It, it, it made, I'm thinking about John. John, this is a pastor's pastor. This is, the, this, is, this is the apostle of love. He talks about love all the time. Love, 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 love is what comes out of John's mouth. This guy's got a heart that's probably four times bigger than anybody else's heart. And yet he calls it the way it is, out of love. But he doesn't say to hate them. He just calls out the false teaching. And those that are following the false teachers, they're not of us. They never were. Oh. It had to pain him just to write that. But the people were never excommunicated. It's not like, well, you didn't follow section number 1B, 5C, paragraph Eight subsection six in our bylaws, so you're out of here. No, how did they leave? They're on court. They made a choice. I love the teaching led me on repentance. They didn't change their mind. They were already of one mindset. They were never of them to begin with. Now, last week we mentioned that we might have a discussion one day on this whole concept. Um, uh, biblical or not, uh, of the, the doctrine of, of predestination. Okay? So, um, you know, is it predetermined by God that, that you're going to be saved and some are going to be saved and some aren't going to be saved? And then what about losing your salvation? John here is saying nothing more than, hey, they followed the false teachers out. They were never of us. It's that simple. No more, no less. Be careful what you read into it. No more, no less. So how about some application here? What's a false teacher? Okay. Those are all pretty straightforward biblical um, truths that would be considered quite Necessary, wouldn't you say? Doctrinally speaking. Okay, what else? What else is a false well, teacher? I, I think if uh, we hear something that we think is a little bit off, I think the first thing to do is check the person's credentials. Where is he coming from? Okay. Okay. Okay, that's a good point. Where was John coming from when he was writing this letter to the church? From experience. <laughs> He had eyewitness. He had authority. He was credible. No, no question about that. Even if you were a skeptic, it was pretty hard to beat his his credibility, wasn't it? So, so they check him out. Um, okay, what else? What else is a false teacher? So, is it, is it only is it only doctrine and somebody's credentials? 
How they speak the word of God. How they speak the word of God. What do you mean by that? That all that they use the Bible um, to speak the truth, and it's their sole reference. Okay, so so they use and today because we're in the present. That's what this book, this letter is about the present. Okay, it was the present then. It's the present now. Okay, so you would say that um, that based on the authority of the Word of God, it helps to have credentials, doesn't it? But based on the authority of the Word of God, if it is presented authoritatively out of the Word of God, okay, so that's both doctrine and authority and credentials. But are the credentials the most important of all of those three things? What about your commentary? What if I, what if I sat up here, or what if every Sunday we started out every church service and the pastor said, I think... I would hope that anybody that listened to somebody that said, I think, wouldn't listen to them anymore. Because yeah. I really don't care... Well, no. Don't take this a long way in the back. I don't really care what the pastor thinks necessarily. I care what God's word says and how he expounds it. Because when somebody is teaching the word of God, it's, it's got to come from God. Now, there's nothing wrong with commentaries. And there's nothing wrong with having an opinion. You can opine. But you better be able to validate it, right? And that's all these people were doing. They were trying to validate, okay, who is John? Who is, the, who is this Apostle John who's writing us this letter? Well, he already had authority, and, and, he was, uh, and he was writing the truth to them. So how do we determine then the criteria? Is it the same criteria for a false teacher? Is it just biblical criteria? Is that what we use? Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 And what were the Gnostics saying in the present time 2,000 years ago? Jesus wasn't even in the flesh. They started there. And then it branched off into all kinds of craziness, but they started there. Well, there's a whole bunch of people that would say that today. Lots of people. Oh, no. Jesus is a great moral teacher. Okay. I mean, he was either a great moral teacher or he was God. Take your pick. You, you can't have it both ways. So, so false teachers are anything, anybody that would teach anything that would be contradictory to what Scripture teaches. Amen? Then how do we deal with the doctrinal differences between the denominations that we have that are solid denominations? We were, at a, we were at a free will Baptist church. I'll just use this as an example. I had a wonderful time there last Saturday. And so we were at a free will Baptist church last Saturday at a men's breakfast. And these guys were loving. Uh, and there was there were guys from all different walks of life there. I mean, guys that were tatted up uh, uh, to the past. The pastor looked like he's a biker. <laughs> yeah, he has a Harley, doesn't he? Yeah. I could tell because he he, he he was Tyler esque he was Tyler esque <laughs> and so um, but n- wonderful nice loving um, men in this men's in this men's breakfast that we went to right um, and uh, and they would believe the same they would believe this is the this is the final authority in all things in life they would believe that they would they would throw themselves in front of a bus for that truth okay. And yet, they believe that one of the sacraments, critical sacraments, 
is the physicalness of foot washing. Who said that's a clinical side? Baptist Church. I mean, is that what they believe? Yeah, and I know a church. Yeah. Foot washing is a critical sacrament. Yes, they. Essential for salvation. uh, No, they wouldn't take it to the essential for salvation, but but they would take it to the same level as baptism. Uh, or the sacrament of of uh, communion. Well, neither one of those are essential. No. For salvation. No. Exactly. It's interpretation. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm just trying to ask the question here. Doctrinally speaking, is that a problem? No. They're not false teachers, then. No. Okay. Good. So then, uh, what would be an example of a false teaching? Within. Jesus is not God. Okay. Hmm. He, his, his sacrifice isn't complete and full. Okay. Taking the scripture out of context. Okay. Could you be more specific? Oh, oh, circumcision as a as a condition of salvation, or, or okay, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I've found that one yet. But see, the point is, is that there's all kinds of doctrinal issues and differences, isn't there? And so you've got to be really careful, and you have to be, and I think you have to apply wisdom and discernment, because you have to be, I have some wonderful friends, a, a number of them, uh, and, I, and I love listening to Brett Merrick. I, I've only heard one sermon from Brett Merrick, and I've, I've, and I, and I've told anybody that will care to listen, um, I think that is a, that reality is solid. And Brett Merrick is absolutely Convinced, and it is a doctrinal position of the of, of reality as a church that you can lose your salvation, and I don't believe that. But I also believe that if you went from us, you were never of us. Oh, it's a it's a. You're saying that they didn't lose it; they never had. Yes, that's all I'm saying. So the line, all I'm saying is to be very, very careful when you start getting into false teaching and doctrinal differences about dealing with the things that are essential and things that are not essential. Okay, So if somebody believes that it's critically important that foot washing is a very, very integral part uh, of, of your doctrinal position that, that, but is not salvation, is not necessary for salvation. I have no problem with that. Who, who's the most famous foot washer in the world? <laughs> Amen. That's where it comes from. Okay, but it's not a salvation issue. The church that believed in the foot washing, but it wasn't uh, uh, your salvation wasn't uh, you know what's the word I want dependent on that. Right. It wasn't a requirement. It wasn't a requirement, and. And so, and so, I don't want to get too far off on that. But the point is, is that John is talking about the the us's and the them's. They left. They were never a part of us. And what's the important part of him uh, uh, communicating that to the church? That they were never a part of us. They left. They were never a part of us. So, what's important? What's on the other side of that? So be a part of church. Be a part. That's what the body of Christ is. We have the whole balance of, 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 of the New Testament that talks about the church as, as a body. And every part of it is really important. Unless you're not of us. And your motivation isn't there. You were never of us. It's a, it's a very delicate thing, isn't it? 
Because we don't like to, uh, we don't, uh, I mean, who wants to offend somebody intentionally? I can do it accidentally good enough. I don't need to do it intentionally. You know, so um, that's, 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 a, that's a hard but truthful teaching. There are, there are people in churches, there are whole churches that are not of us. Yeah, whole churches. Robert. Well, that's what I was thinking is that it can work that way where the, the church has been infiltrated with false doctrine in the leadership and then it has to be where the true believers have to make their stand. It, it can go either way. Yeah. It, it can go either way. I mean, uh, you know, scripture is, is very clear. Um, uh, you know, you've heard the saying, you're either with us or you're against us. Okay, you, I mean, I wonder where that came from. Mm-hmm. Hmm. They were, they were never, they went out from us. They never really belonged to us. Ooh, a little bit painful. However, verse twenty, there's a big but. I love buts and ifs in scripture. But, okay, because that's a tough teaching. Hey, they were never of us. I mean, the implication is. I mean, this is, sounds a little bit harsh. They weren't of us. It's probably good that they're gone. Now, now, could they come back? Absolutely. You could be restored that close to the end of your last breath. But right now, they weren't of us. But, he says, 1 John 2, verse 20 through 23. I'll read it. But... You have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the, follow, uh, has the Father also. Who is, are the Antichrists? Okay, that's a lot of mumbling. Somebody with conviction tell me, who are the Antichrists? Those that deny Christ. Those that deny Christ. It's not just the false teachers. They never belong to us. Who is Jesus Christ? Okay. Some would say that we're in the light. We know Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. Until you get into really what they believe about Jesus Christ, you find out, well, that ain't the Jesus that I know. That's a whole different Jesus. Because you can even spin Jesus. You can spin the the person of Jesus into whoever you want Jesus to be. Can't you? Back. We got to go back. We got to go back. We got to go back. That's all we got. That's all John's saying. Let's go back to the truth. He says right here. He says, you have, but you're with us. Okay. Even though all this stuff is happening, but. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Wow. The but is a big contrast, isn't it? So he's contrasting believers and unbelievers, isn't he? 
Okay, so you have an anointing. What's an anointing? See, because we can read scripture and we read those words and anointing is a tricky word, isn't it? But until we know what that really means, we just read, we can read right past it, can't we? Because it says, you have an anointing. Well, let's back up for a second. Who's the you he's talking about? Oh! I love it. If he was from Texas, he would have said, y'all have an anointing. I love that. Okay, so you have an anointing. We better figure out what that means. What is an anointing? The Holy Spirit was poured out upon him. Okay. Okay. And so the Holy Spirit, and so is the, there is an, an anointing of the Holy Spirit. By definition, what does the word mean? If you're anointed, you're called out to do some Okay, a, a calling out, a setting aside for some very specific godly purpose. That's a good definition. I like that. You buy that? Okay, by, by, its, by its very definition. Of course, if you're going to be called out and be holy, be set aside, set apart for this, for this special work, who's anointed? Okay, so we're all anointed. We're set apart. By God, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to do what God's will is for our life. Whatever he has called us to do is part of the body of Christ. Because you're with us, John says. You're not. You belong. You are anointed. Special favor and function. Everybody. I was talking with Brenda last week. And I was saying, you know, Brenda is like an evangelist. I don't know if you know this or not. But Brenda, Brenda shares Jesus with just about anybody and everybody, right? Okay, so you run across Brenda, and so Brenda gets people that look at her like, whoa, what a, she's, um, you know, she's different. <laughs> and then she runs across people that are, that are a little bit more interested, and they say, oh, she's really interesting. And you get all kinds of different re reactions, don't you? Because she just, she just loves Jesus. She's just Brenda, just being who Brenda is. It's an anointing. You are anointed. And some respond, and some run for the hills, don't they? Some just have to hear it whether they want to or not. <laughs> <laughs> they have to hear it whether they want to or not. So, so each one of us has this anointing, this special favor or function or ability within the context of, of the body of Christ to do God's work. We are his hands and his feet, aren't we? Okay, so so we know that you are the ones, we are the ones that are anointed. So, did you know that, by the way? Have you thought about the fact, this is an expository teaching. All of a sudden, here we say that God's word says, y'all are anointed. Set apart. For some form or function. Special. Just for you Personally, within the body of Christ, functionally, because you're a part of it. John says, you're with us. Us meaning the body of Christ, the believers. You're anointed. You want to have some fun sometime? 
lay hands on one of your fellow brothers or sisters in Christ and pray over them the anointing that God has already given them. And then share with them what you see that it is. I see that this is a special favor that God has given you. Praise God for the anointing that they have given this person that you would just like to lay hands on and just pray over. Watch what happens. When a believer realizes finally for the first time that they are actually anointed by God to serve. It's a radical, crazy thing when you realize that, ah, that's just the truth. It's, it's just the truth. That's all it is. It's just the truth. So you're anointed. And the implication, of course, is that you're anointed by whom? The Holy One. Who's that? Okay. Which God are you talking about, Ernie? God. <laughs> there's only but one God. Yeah, there's there's but one God. And have you ever have you ever have you ever heard him called uh, uh, God the Holy One? So what's what's what, what verse are we in? Oh, what, and what does it say? From the Holy One. Oh. Uh, anointed by what? By who? The Holy One. So y'all are anointed by the Holy One. Capitalized. Oh, and it's capitalized even. Hmm. Where does the power of the anointing come from? God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. The Holy Spirit has anointed you, brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus Christ because of the confession that you made in belief in Him okay, for works of service in the church and outside. Okay? And hopefully to those that never belong to us. Okay? But there's a priority. There's a priority. God and the church and then, and then others. There's a priority in Scripture. But there's an anointing. What else can we learn from that Scripture? Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. And I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who does the teaching, by the way? Who's teaching here tonight? Excuse me? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you. See, there, there is, there is no man, there is no woman, there is no person that is going to do the teaching. What you can do is you can bring the Word of God, but there is no teaching that comes from here. The teaching comes from the power of the Holy Spirit, because I'm telling you, there's 20 some of us in this room, and and I can and I can prove that, because if we can test that, by the way, we can test the Spirit, because if we left here tonight. And we did a quick survey, and you wrote down the two most important things that, 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 were, that were revealed to you by God tonight in this room. Uh, there would be multiple answers. God does the teaching. The Holy Spirit does the teaching. Who is the liar in this case? Who? And who are the Antichrists? The whole group of them. <clears throat> okay. Alright. So what have what what have we learned here based on what on what scripture teaches us about, about antichrists? 
They can be amongst us. And they can leave us. And they can leave us. Yeah, because they won't want to be with us. Because they won't want to be with us, yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes they get expelled. But not in this case. In this case, they just left on their own, didn't they? They, they wanted to. They were never. They were never of them. So they. So they left them. And uh, and and what else do we know about? What else have we learned uh, from God's word about antichrists? Anyone who denies Christ. Anyone who denies Christ, according to according to First John. Can you say you're a follower of Jesus and deny him at the same time? If you do, you're in the darkness and the truth is not in you, according to First John. If you say I'm a follower of Jesus, but you say that you are not going to, but you are, but you choose to be disobedient to all the things that, that Jesus taught. And when Jesus said, "If you love me, you'll do what I say," but if you say, oh, "I love Jesus, but I hate the church," that's what these guys are doing. We love religion, but we don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. 2,000 years later, we say, we love Jesus, but we don't like religion. It's the same thing. They just reverse the tables. Of, it's the same thing. Whole religions have been built around that. See, we have to have a right understanding of and relationship with the Lord in order to understand these things, right? We have to have an understanding of who Jesus is, and we have to have a right relationship because knowing of Jesus is not going to be enough. Not a popular teaching today, but that's what this says. That's what this says. Let's read verses 24 through 28. Lois, would you do that again? 1 John 2, verses 24 through 28. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, the eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. Confirming what we were just talking about. Where's the teaching come from? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Who's been anointed? We have been. Each one of us have, have an anointing from God. I love that. Every believer. He says, verse 24, see. Okay, expository. What does the word see mean? Huh? Gaze upon. Gaze upon. Look. Make sure. Hey! Based on what I was just talking about, make sure that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. That word remains is the same as abides. Okay? Abide in Christ as He abides in you. We're living in the light. We're living in Jesus. Okay? He's living in us. He says, make certain that what you've heard from the very beginning remains in you. Because what's the context again? Look at the rows are empty. They left. It didn't remain in them. Even if they had heard it from the beginning. These were people that had heard it from the beginning. And they said, no, I like something else now. I, I heard the pastor say this last week. Let's, or was it the week before? Let's go to the feel-good church. 
Because, man, I'll tell you what, I can go there on Sundays for an hour and a half and I can just feel good and do then whatever the heck I want on Monday. In fact, I can do whatever the heck I want on Sunday afternoon because I felt good for an hour and a half and he said, it's all about me. Well, that's what it was. It was all about them. See that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. See, the truth can't just be heard. All those people heard. People hear the truth. But what's the most important thing about the truth? You've got to apply it. It has to abide in you. It has to remain in you. It has to be a part of you. The truth is the most vital thing that has to be in you. Because remember the context of being in the world. Anything that the world throws at you that you put on top of or in place of your relationship with Jesus. Right? When that becomes more vital, then guess what? It's not abiding in you anymore. That's why people left. It wasn't important. What did they need to do? Okay, go back to the last couple of Sundays. What did they need to do? Huh? Repent. Repent. Change their mind. That's all they needed to do was just change their mind. See, because the truth has to be both present and active. Active. If it's not active, do you really believe it? Because what you believe is then ultimately how you're going to behave, right? You know why you're of us? I don't mean us. I mean in the context of what John is writing here. Because you're here. Because the truth is active. Because the Holy Spirit has... Has prompted you and convicted you. I want to learn a little more about this. Well, it's, it's good to go deeper with Jesus, isn't it? Because it helps me understand how I'm supposed to behave. Because uh, frankly, I mess that up a lot. <laughs> you know, don't we? Okay. So the truth has to be both present and active. Can the truth be present and not active? Hmm. Okay, can the truth be present and not active? Yes? No. Hmm. That's a tougher question, isn't it? Can the truth be present and not active? How do you mean present? Okay. The context of this letter is that it is written in the present tense. We live in the present. The application is to us in the present. Based on the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life. God has anointed each of us. The Holy Spirit does the teaching. And so, are you being exposed to the truth this very moment? Yes. Okay. So, is the truth present? Okay. And if you left here tonight and didn't give it a second thought until next Wednesday night at 6.34, because we always start about four minutes late, according to Ernie. Would the truth be active? No. Okay. Can it be present and not active? I think so. I think the truth is called nominal Christianity, quite frankly, because there are people that are going to churches all over the place that they're going there because, man, they just want to feel good. That's a feel-good church. That's a feel-good church model again. They want to feel good, and some of the truth is even presented. I'll tell you, there are some cults that even teach some of the truth. Just enough truth to kind of hook you in. 
but then much error. Of course, every Christian culture. Sure. Okay. Um, uh, so, so here's the warning. Verse 26. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Present tense. 2,000 years ago and today. I am writing these... He tells you why he's writing these things. Wes? Pretty simple, right? Yeah. I'm writing you. Why? Because there's those out there that are trying to lead you astray. And what do we have so that we're not led astray? The anointing, the, anointing, the teaching of the Holy Spirit through the truth of God's Word. That's what you've got. Otherwise, man, I'll tell you what. You want to find people that are telling you that they're walking in the light and they walk away? You know why? They don't know the truth. The truth is not active. It might be present, but it's not active. How can it be active if you don't even know what it is? Hello? How can it be active if you don't even know what it is? I love the way God designed this. It's going to take a lifetime. He studied this for a lifetime. I remember, wasn't it Kurt Brennan that was in Romans for three years? Three years every Sunday he taught. Was it Sunday school too? I don't know. It was like it was like forever, you know, in, in studying on, on the book of Romans. And, and you know what? And he was probably in it for three years before that. I mean, it's deep. It's, it's valuable. It's, that was an anointing. It was good. It was good. So the warning is, those that are trying to lead you astray. The Antichrists. Hello, let's just call it what it is. That's what Scripture says. These are the Antichrists. So, um, anyone willing to give an example of an individual or a group that, that, that fits this category that we've been talking about? No, I don't know. <laughs> but any world religious system that denies Jesus, any, they would deny Christ. Any world religion or religious system that denies the truth, all of it. Starting with just those things that are essential, foot washing not included. Okay? Those things that are essential. How about any teacher that denies the truth? Any Christ? Okay. How about any person that denies the truth? According to God's word. They were never of us. The Antichrists have come. Teachers and followers. Powerful. I don't know if we think about it in those terms. But... That's what God's word says. Wow. John 8.32 says, The truth will set or make you free. Because those that are not in the truth are what? They're in the darkness because they're not in the light. Because the light is the truth. And those that are in the darkness, quite frankly, think they're free. And yet what they don't realize, they are bound up tighter than a drum. You see, there's freedom in Jesus. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you what. You know what uh, Richie and Tyler and I pray about the most over this body of believers at Ohio Valley Christian Fellowship? 
is that um, that everyone who would come to that place ultimately where the Holy Spirit would reveal to them that they're just free in Christ. Just, you could just be who you are. I'll never forget. I will never forget. Uh, I was sitting in my living room with 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 with, with another one other man uh, who I won't name and and that man uh, in my living room and this man he was this this man back here was seeking godly advice and wisdom um, five and a half years ago and this man said just be yourself. Because he already knew who he was in Christ. He said, so now, don't be somebody that you're not. Just be who you are in Christ. And pastor, wonderful advice. I've been using that ever since. So, guess what? Olivia, you're anointed by God. Just be yourself. It's okay. Just be yourself. That's who God made you, Right? And you're learning and you're growing and we're going through all... It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Verse 27 says, And as for you... Who's the you? Us, the church. As for you, church, the anointing you received from him... Yeah, why is that? You know what's weird about that? Here's, here's a weird thing. Um, I have this... I have this just a uh, just a little personal insight for me. Um, I have this weird thing. You know how how the Jews will not spell out the word of God, yeah. mm-hmm. okay? And why? Oh, it's a reverence thing. Yes, because it's, it's too it's too mighty Hol- powerful. Too mighty powerful, holy. They just they just can't do it. It's, it's out of respect. I respect that they respect the name of God. Okay. And, and whenever I'm writing he or him, and I'm referring to in my in my notes, here's my notes. I type them out every week. I type out all my notes. I study and I type them out. And him and he is always capitalized. It's just a it's a personal thing. Is it necessary? Not in my notes. But it's, a, it's for me. I don't know. It's, it's maybe it's a maybe it's a Jewish thing. But it's it's a reverence thing. And that's just what I do. But anyway, it's not capitalized. But the anointing you receive from him remains in you. Now listen. And you do not need anyone to teach you. We already learned that. Who does the teaching? Okay, Holy Spirit does the teaching. But as his anointing, te- as his anointing teaches you about what things? All. And in the Greek, all is? All. Still all. So if you want to learn something about the word of God, if you want to learn, we know who's going to do the teaching. And what will he teach you? Everything, all things, all, 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 all. Okay? If we're open to the all, he'll teach you the all of all things. And as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. I love that. Okay? So what do we have to do to deal with whether or not the teaching is real or counterfeit? Remain in him. Remain in him. Be in the light. Walk in the light. John concludes verse 28 with this. And now, dear children, who's that? Us. It's the present, remember. 
Remember, this whole thing is in the present tense. And now, if it weren't in the present tense, he would have said, and last week, no, but he says, no, now. And now, dear children, continue in him. I like the word abide. <coughs> abide in him. Continue in him. So that when, there's not an if here, so that when he appears, we may be what? Confident. 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 And unashamed before him at his coming. Wow. See, abiding in him, being in him, they were never a part of us. But we are a part of one another. We are a part of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we are abiding in him so that we can be confident when he appears. And there isn't anybody in this room that doesn't want to hear those words. Oh, well done. Good and faithful servant. Because what? Because we were active in the anointing that God gave us within the context of the body of Christ and serving one another, not ourselves. Because John talked about the hypocrite that was more consumed with what he had and what he had done and talking about himself all the time. No, no. It's about, it's about Jesus and others. I, I, I love it when he told the apostles, you know, what's the most important? Jesus says, ah, just love me this way and love everybody else and then you're down there somewhere. Okay? Because what will happen is, is you'll find your joy in abiding in me, walking in the light and, and serving others. That's, that's where you'll be free in Christ and, and the burdens will be taken off of you. It's the, what do we get consumed about? I was reading an article the other day about this guy that he's a billionaire. And the article uh, was being written by somebody that wasn't authorized to write about this guy. <laughs> but he knew him personally. And he knew him well. And he said the man was absolutely miserable because no matter, every time he added another billion, it was never enough because he wanted two more or three more. And he was consumed and consumed and consumed. And he had no relationships with anybody. He, he, he destroyed every relationship he had. And he had, he had, as they say, more money than God. Um, and he was the most miserable person because what didn't he have? He wasn't, he wasn't saved. He wasn't confident or unashamed or content or saved. He, he wasn't a part. He was, what does First John call him? What Wow. So walk in the light always. You can't help it. You're saved. You're in the light. <laughs> You're anointed by God. So walk in the light. And when Jesus comes, and when might that happen, Doris? <laughs> On the way home, or before we get out the door, or tomorrow, or a thousand years from now. I don't know. We don't know. But it's possible at any moment. It's like a thief in the night. So he says, be prepared. So when Jesus comes, be confident and complete of what? Completely confident of your assurance in what? In Christ. In Christ, your salvation, your eternal life with him. That's what's important. Your eternal life with him. You gotta live in the light. Because there's no fellowship between the light and the dark. 
These are very powerful teachings in very simplistic words, quite frankly. Hey, just be the light. Just be the light. And associate yourself with people that are in the light. And love people that are in the light. Because if you don't love people that are in the light, the truth is not in you and you're actually in the dark. So, see, for John, it's all about love. It's just a contrast. It's a really simple letter. And we're going word by word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, (laughs) chapter by chapter, if you will, talking about love and contrasting the difference between those that love and are of us, as he says, and those that, quite frankly, don't. They actually hate, which the Bible calls murder, if you hate your brother. Hate your brother and you're a murderer. Wow. Powerful. They're of us or they're not. So just walk in the light. That's what he says. This evil age is current, present, active, and dark. That's where we live. It's dark. Unless you're in the light. Amen? So walk in the light. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for sending your Holy Spirit to teach us. God, teaching us the truth of your word. What a miraculous thing to think about, God, that your word is truth. And we just have to simply abide in the truth. So I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us and that you would convict us to abide in you, to walk in the light, to always be in the light, To share the truth with even those that are not of us. Lord, that all would be saved because you love everyone and you died to save. You died for the sins of the world, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would be sensitive to that. And God, that we would not condemn those that are not in the light, that we would actually love them. And hopefully our our actions, Lord, might be just what they need to see. To see the light that they would come to the recognition that they need to come to you. Because that's what matters. Teach us tonight, Lord, as we contemplate these things, Lord, that that our anointing comes from you. And whatever that giftedness is within the body of Christ, Lord, help us to to use that anointing. Uh, What a blessing that is, God. Help us to see it. Help us to use it. Help us to share it. And Lord, as you do those things, we just want to be reminded of how much you love us because it's a crazy place out there, God. It is a crazy world. And it is seemingly, Lord, getting worse and worse. And every generation has said the same. Lord, until you come, help us, God, to be in the light. In Jesus' name, amen.